Welcome to the Rhode Island Right to Bear Arms Network, a show dedicated to gun rights in the state of Rhode Island. Network. My name is Glenn Valentine. I'm the vice president of the Rhode Island Fire Motors League and the president of the Rhode Island Second Amendment Pack. So uh, it's it's you know it's been a couple of weeks actually. I try and do a podcast once a week, uh, maybe twice a week. But um, it's it's election time. It's crunch time for a lot of us that work on some campaigns and obviously things associated with the pack that we need to do regarding filing for with the board of elections. And so we've been kind of tied up with that. And, and uh, so I thought I'd do a, a podcast. Uh, again, sort of reflecting on some of the things that are going on in our state uh, regarding elections and important uh, things that are happening. Uh, we'll talk briefly with uh, Nick Rosso, who is running, certainly no stranger to the Second Amendment folks, but he is um, running for House Seat 43, which is, enti- is, is entirely, not all of Johnston, uh, but but his district is solely Johnston. So he's running against uh, Deb Falello, the incumbent Democrat who has uh, been supportive of gun legislation in the past. So we'll talk to him about some of the things going on with his campaign and uh, his position on, on obviously most of you know what his position is on gun rights and gun ownership and hunting and sporting and all those good things. But we'll talk to him about some of the issues that are outside of the second amendment and uh, some of the initiatives that he's excited about if he, if he gets elected to office, hopefully. So, um, before we talk to Nick, I, I want to go over um, some things happening in my district here. So I live in District 30 uh, in East Greenwich, and we have a race between the incumbent Justine Caldwell, who has uh, been in the House of Representatives in Rhode Island for two years and is extremely supportive of, of gun legislation. She was um, recruited by the progressive left to run for office in 2018. And she was able to beat incumbent Anthony G. Russo, who was uh, in that seat for, I believe, six years. Uh, he was elected in 2012. And in previous podcasts, I had actually covered um, things related to this race and the importance that we get this seat back, considering the fact that it's a fairly conservative area, West Greenwich, East Greenwich. But um, she was able to uh, win that seat during uh, a, a, a race where the town council was the issue, but it sort of dragged down those two seats. Um, the House and the Senate seat went to the Democrats. So the seat's currently held now by Justine Caldwell, who is um, a progressive Democrat. And she's endorsed by Moms Demand Action. She's endorsed by the Rhode Island Coalition Against Violence. And she's sponsored, you know, virtually every anti-gun bill that there was in the General Assembly this year. She's a strong supporter of magazine restriction, and she's actually come out this past week in, in, in the uh, debate that they had saying that she that's going to be her priority this session is to ultimately outlaw the possession of these things, not the ownership, not, you know, there's no grandfathering in these bills. It's simply you become a felon. So if you're one of the 150,000 to 200,000 gun owners in this state, and you own one of these things, um, you're likely to be prosecuted. And we're talking millions of these things in the state based on the ATF numbers we know regarding gun sales. So, you know, Anthony's approach, he's not a gun guy in a sense that he, he'll tell you he doesn't own a gun. And even when he was first elected, I you know, had sent him emails you know, because he was my state representative at the time when we had the Newtown shooting, as I've said in previous podcasts. You know, and, and he, he conceded at one point that he just doesn't really understand what I'm even talking about when I refer to magazine capacity, when I refer to concealed carry. And so he listened to the things I had to say. And then he listened to folks like Mike Chippendale, who's in the General Assembly, and Blake Filippi, and all the other representatives that understand firearms more than he did. And he concluded, like he does with every other piece of legislation, that we shouldn't be in the business of passing laws that have a, a much larger collateral effect on the folks that actually follow the law, right? You, you would expect with any piece of legislation, and I say this a million times, and, and this is his approach, that we target the folks that break the law and try not to infringe on the rights of everybody else, whether it's alcohol consumption, whether it's driving on the highway, whether it's owning a gun, we want to target the folks that break the law. You know, we're talking about a state where uh, we're the lowest gun deaths per capita than any other state. Sometimes New Hampshire bests us, but we're, you know, the, one of the two lowest in the country. We usually have single digit uh, murders with firearms per year. And yet, you know, folks like Justine Caldwell want to implement legislation that is going to have sweeping effect on folks that, you know, the 150 to 200,000 gun owners in the state that own these items. So, you know, he, he, this is, this is um, you know, again, it's more of a conceptual approach to firearms, I, I call it. He, he doesn't know the particulars about all the things that gun owners do and don't do, but he he understands that that 
the things that are being proposed are ridiculous and and that you know really are not uh, appealing to freedom loving folks and that's not just folks that are considered conservatives liberal people would be very very surprised at some of the things uh, that the, these bills seek to do you know, so the reason why I'm revisiting this race is because of a mailer I'd gotten this week uh, which is an ex- you know uh, I, what I notice as and I think everyone notices that in these races the closer you get to election day the more I guess um, insane some of these mailers get and some of the the, the, the things that they claim against their opponent um, are just completely asinine and uh, it you know it, it's it's by design because it certainly doesn't allow um, someone to refute some of the things that have been said about them. And so I got in this mailer today that had a whole host of things on one side that were all the wonderful things that, you know, Justine has done. And some of the things maybe I, I, I haven't invested the time in, in, in researching all of them, but maybe some of them are good. And, and I know certainly the ones that are associated with firearms ownership and things like evergreen contracts certainly are not good things for this state. But when I had gone to like the fourth or fifth point down, it had said that Anthony voted against a bill that would what we sought to take firearms from convicted domestic abusers. And so, you know, I was there, I spent about a week and a half in the general assembly that last, uh, that last part of the session, uh, when that, when the protect Rhode Island families act passed, which is what she's referencing. And so I was there with Mike O'Neill, Frank Sakosha from the second amendment coalition, Nick Rousseau from the federated sportsman, David Eichland from the Rhode Island firearms league. Um, we were with Senator Archambault, uh, Senator McCaffrey, uh, Senate majority leader McCaffrey. We spent a week and a half till two o'clock in the morning trying to change this bill in a way that would do what the bill was designed to do and that is someone that shouldn't have a firearm right if they have they've threatened someone they've they've physically abused someone we understand we're not advocating for domestic abusers to be able to have access to firearms however what justine is not telling you is that that bill and the sticking point for us was that accused it's not even accused domestic abusers it's someone that has a protective order taken out against them has to relinquish ownership and and again i've gone over this in podcasts previous podcasts um the sticking point for us was this idea that you would forfeit ownership at any sort of accusation that you were either harassing someone it doesn't have to be physical abuse and it doesn't have to be someone verbally abusing you and or, or, or you know threatening to, to to harm you it can simply be someone sending text messages um, that are un, unsolicited uh, you know th- it's very easy to get a protective order against someone uh, when when you go before a mat the, the, the a judge or a you know, you can go to a police department, however the process rolls out. It's a very easy process for someone to get a protective order. Um, not much evidence to make that happen. You get a hearing, which is 20 within 21 days after this order is put in place. And we sought to have a show cause hearing prior to you being forced to forfeit your property, which re- would resonate, would make sense to anyone. Right? Think about any of your personal property and someone saying to you that it could be taken from you and you could be forced right? To have that property transferred into someone else's name, right? And then when you go for your hearing in, in, in 21 days, or even a week or two weeks, um, the judge could say to you, well, this shouldn't have happened. They can reverse the, you know, the, basically remove the order. And now you're standing there saying, how do I get my property back? There's nothing in that provision, nothing in that law that requires that the people that now possess your property um, return that to you. It wouldn't be acceptable. Thinking, think about if you were to driving down 95 and you were accused of driving under the influence, and when you blow into the machine and it says you've got no alcohol and no drugs in your in your system, and maybe you were just not a good you're not a good driver, right? And the police, you know, apologize and pat you on the back and say, well, you know, we're glad you didn't, you know, you weren't under the influence, but you know, we're sorry to tell you, but your car was auctioned off while you were sitting in the cell waiting to blow into the machine, right? This it's the same thing. You've been accused of something, and that that hearing, you're not entitled to go before a judge and, and sort of refudiate what accusations are made against you when someone takes out that initial order, um, you're, you're given that opportunity in the future, but not before your property is, is, you know, the police show up at your house and tell you you've got 24 hours to provide evidence that you've you've relinquished ownership of your firearms. So Representative G. Russo, in, in, in all of the Republicans, and I think one Democrat, um, these folks voted against this bill because it was a terrible bill, right? The spirit of the bill, I'm certain that he's, 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 he's perfectly okay taking guns from people that are bona fide domestic abusers, as I am, but not someone that's been accused of something and they're having their property stripped from them. You know, the difference between what the law was and what it is now is that you were able to give up possession of those firearms. So you could have turned those over to someone like a dealer. You could have turned them over to uh, a third party that wasn't a blood relative or you could turn them over to the police if you're foolish enough to do that but 
there were options for you to have those those firearms taken out of your possession um, rather than having ownership transferred. So again, it was a horrible bill, but this mailer you know, gives the illusion that he voted against some bill to allow some guy that's a drunken fool or a woman or whoever domestically abuses people. You know, this idea that some guy can ramble around with a whiskey bottle and a shotgun on the porch of his house and there's not a damn thing the police can do because the the, the, the law allows domestic abusers to do what they do and then continue to own their firearms. It's complete science fiction and mailers like this are examples of the crap that these people put out. And, and it, But it resonates with folks that are voting. And so, you know, as I go down the mailer, um, I also noticed that outside of the gun issue, there was there was reference made to Anthony not attending the sexual harassment training that had taken place in the state house in 2016, right around the same time when the domestic violence bill had passed. But it was it was uh, training that was provided for the representatives in the house um, because of a Democrat that had done something inappropriately in a text message with a female representative. And so Anthony didn't go to the training because he said it was a disservice to his parents who had raised him uh, to to treat women appropriately and yet in the mailer it says that he said that that training was a disservice so again it's 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 this taking words out of context and taking things that he had done out of context to paint some sort of narrative um, that that isn't true and so you know if I was someone that was inclined to vote for a democrat uh, I would I would look at Anthony like he's some sort of animal it leaves people with the illusion that, you know, he's okay with people being domestically abused and he's okay with being, you know, folks being sexually harassed, which is absolute nonsense. So, you know, again, think about the issues and think about what some of these folks are putting out there and, and make wise choices. Um, you know, it's I see a lot of folks that are very educated uh, individuals making choices to support candidates that, you know, quite frankly, if, if they knew them a little bit better, uh, I know they wouldn't support them. So, it's important that we get out and vote. It's important that we go and find information about candidates that are running. I know some folks have, have shot emails at us asking us questions, quite frankly, that I think are things they should know already. And we're certainly willing to give them information on candidates. But it make, it worries me that folks are asking, you know, two and three weeks before the election who they need to support and where this person stands in the Second Amendment. And there are, you know, naturally a number of folks in the General Assembly that we uh, need to make sure get reelected. If you look, you'll see all the Republicans in the General Assembly are, are pro Second Amendment folks there, and then there are several Democrats that you know. There are many Democrats actually that do support us. It's just that you know by them having more and more progressive folks being elected, the pressure is on, and they're likely to cave. And so we need to you know do our job as far as getting out there and voting. So um, election day is coming up. Obviously, some of you folks are already voting. So if you go on our page, um, rifirearmsrights.org. Or you go to Facebook, you can go to Rhode Island Fire Motors League, or you can go to the Rhode Island Rifle and Revolver Association. We've got uh, the candidates that, that um, you know we, we think folks should support, that support your Second Amendment rights. That, you know, the, and, and, and you know, there are a lot of questions sort of flying around in terms of they don't see some of their uh, you know, town's representatives likely because of the fact that that race, um, there's no uh, general election uh, you know, opposition, so it may be a Republican or a Democrat that is running unopposed. So... Uh, again, get out there and vote. Uh, check out all the resources we put online. Donate to these candidates. Not too late to do that. Um, you can donate to the Second Amendment PAC. Volunteer to hold a sign on Election Day. Uh, make phone calls for a candidate. Make phone calls for the state party. Uh, anyway, so uh, we'll be back with Nick Rosso, who's running for House District Seat 43. Folks, uh, welcome back. So here, as promised, we've got Nick Rosso uh, running for House District 43 that encompasses Johnston. Uh, for you guys who have been involved in the gun issue or you follow the gun issue in the state for, for you know, as long as... As long as I've been involved with the guns, uh, with, with the gun issue, um, you know, I've been close with Nick. I met him uh, in 2012 when that big year at the State House when there was a big push after the uh, Newtown shooting. And so uh, he's been the, uh, as, as long as I've known him, he's been the president of the uh, Federated Sportsman. And now he's, we, you know, he's thankfully he's trying to f- take a seat for us and as running as a Republican in, in Johnson. And um, he's lifelong. You've lived in Johnson your whole life. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so t- a little bit about uh, what what was the motivation to run? I think a lot of it was watching um, people that are up at the state house that claim they're pro two A, and they have no problem 
voting on a bill that's anti-2A and then expecting the rest of us to follow suit. So with my uh, opponent, um, every bill that's now passed against us, she's voted in favor of. And she started off as uh, a, a plus rated with the NRA back in, I think, 2008, 2010. And she's slowly been shifting. She's slowly been going down that slope. So um, I don't have any room for uh, negotiations. I don't have any room for uh, voting on a single bill that's against our Second Amendment rights. So um, I guess really the real thing is, is you get to the point where you only trust yourself to pull the lever. And, um, and I think Johnson uh, is predominantly pro-Second Amendment. Uh, they're not being represented the way they should be. And uh, I think the time was right to put a good pro to uh, to a candidate in there. Yeah, you know, she strikes me as a, and, and I don't know her as well as you do, but uh, she's your state rep. So, uh, you know, she seems to, you know, we talked about this a little before the, before we started, that she seems to be kind of like fall into the category of, she's not overly anti-gun, but she goes along to get along. So whatever they put in front of her, she's going to support, which it, it, quite frankly is, in my opinion, you know, and I don't know her personally. Uh, like I said, my interaction with her, she seems like a nice woman. But, you know, in my opinion, that's worse than being anti-gun. You know, these folks, at least the folks that are progressive that are pushing this stuff, you know, we, we understand where they're coming from. And, and you know, we, we can go out and we can do whatever we can to try and unseed them in a race. But with her, you know, she was, as you said, you know, rated as a Second Amendment candidate for a number of years and never had the opportunity to vote for or against the bill. So, you know, there was really no way to tell if she was truly a Second Amendment uh, candidate but or a legislator. But, you know, as time went on, you know, these small bills start to, you know, gain legs and then and then um you know eventually some of these things have passed and 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 the, the last what four or five years now we've seen a minimum of one bill go through each year and she's not voted against one of them and nor has she expressed any opposition to them you know there are you know so so i think that that in my opinion is actually worse you know i think than uh you know it's claiming your pro two way and and then and doing what she does yeah and you know oddly enough a lot of people uh, educate themselves as voters like you know you really can't conduct yourself in that manner and expect people not to uh, to know what you're doing and believe it or not I, I have candidates that are also anti-gun that are voting for me just because that's the way she conducts herself she's not voting based on constituents she's not voting on anything other than on the premises of hey I'm going to just come out and vote whatever leadership tells me to do or what deal I've done um, there's no there's no really looking into each bill and saying hey is this bill good is it bad you know I'm pro pro to a but I'm still gonna let this one go through so when you represent the people and you're a representative you know you have to take your constituents base and you have to put that forward um, and, and some candidates might be pro to a and, and their district might be predominantly anti-second amendment um, which I really don't think is the case in many parts of our state. Mm. But when you go against your constituents because leadership is telling you to vote this certain way, it goes beyond the Second Amendment issue. So now voters are looking at that and be like, what else are you doing? You right. know, what other bills are you doing that with? Right. And, you know, with the data that's out there nowadays you know, she's voted with the speaker 97.5% of the time. So it's almost always just whatever leadership tells her to do, she's going to vote. And I don't want to get too far right. off the, you know, oh, no, but you're conversation absolutely right. I mean, with the Second Amendment right, here. Right, but right. It shows, you know, it shows how she conducts herself as a representative. She's just doing what leadership does. You know, she, you know, with the Evergreen contract bill, she completely went against mayor policy and what was good for the town. So it's just, she's just not indicative of a, a true representative of the people. Right. And the concern, I mean, I think with, with, you know, you, you, you said she, she votes with leadership, you know, 90 some odd percent of the time. And I don't think that that's really, um, you know, we know our speaker is probably certainly more conservative than the last speaker. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's supported a lot of pro union, legislation but he you know he's referred to himself as the firewall for the progressive left and you know i think that someone like deb Philala, she's she's voting 
you know, in lock, lock, you know, in step with, with the speaker, but back to my original point, I think that I think she would do that with any speaker. And so if in fact, you know, imagine speaker Mattiel is gone and we end up with a more progressive speaker, you know, what will she do then? And so will she continue to cave on the second amendment? More than likely. If I had to bet, I'd say she would, um, you know, if I don't think that there's anything that's off the table, you know, so to, so to think that, well, it's not that bad now. Well, it could get a lot get a lot worse. I mean, we talked about the, you know, the dynamics in the Democratic Party and you've got the the sort of moderate Democrats and then you've got the the progressive left and then you've got all these folks in the middle that could really care less about uh, who is in leadership. They just want to be part of leadership. And so you'll see that the 12 or 13 on the, on the, you know, on the ends there, the, you know, the bookends and whichever side seems to be gaining the most traction, they'll all flock to that side. And so if it looks as though there'll be a more progressive speaker this next session, or any session after, you know, if she gets reelected and, and, you know, and the speaker doesn't get reelected, um, then you can probably expect to see her endorse all of the anti-gun things that the progressive left are, are, are embracing. Yeah. And, and Glenn, actually, there's there's actually concrete evidence behind that to back to back that statement up because, you know, she voted um, for what we we commonly call as the, the domestic violence bill. Um, and, you know, and that, that was a very difficult bill for our community to kind of deal with. And then, you know, naturally we went to red flag and bump stocks, which she voted for. And now more recently, she, um, ghost gun bill and the background check bill, which we know has caused a huge uh, right, right. amount of chaos for our uh, FFL holders here in the state. But what a lot of people don't realize is that you know, you start off being pro 2A when you're not really pro 2A. You just answer the questionnaire. You answer the questions based on how you know um, is going to get you the best grade possible when you really don't have any stake in the game. But here's what a lot of people don't know is that I'm in possession of uh, this year's magazine restriction bill. And normally we only see the first few co-sponsors on the bill. But when you actually get the document that's been uh, stamped, I believe it was stamped on January 23rd of 2020, she's actually on the list as one of those co-sponsors. Right, right, right. So just like you said, how much, you know, how far down this rabbit hole are you going to go? You're going to give one bill, you're going to give two bills, you're going to give three bills. Now all of a sudden, you know, we're getting into the serious bills, which pose an immediate. Right, right, right you know, a big threat to our second amendment. Right. right. So well, the evidence is already yeah. there that, that she's moving in that direction. And, and you raise a point about sponsoring and co-sponsoring bills. And so, you know, and you said something a little bit earlier about how so, even some of the, the, the more liberal anti-gun folks will actually come on and support you. Uh, and that's, that's a pr- likely predicated on the fact that they're starting to figure out, like for many years, people didn't put bi- their names on bills if they weren't bills they, they supported or if they were worried about any sort of collateral effect. But you, you're seeing, or at least since I've been involved in, in you know, spending time over the state house, you see a lot of legislators that are afraid of the progressive left. So they start to put their names on bills, right? So they can go back, you know, most bills never see the light of day, but they can go back to their constituents in an election and say, I sponsored a bill to ban magazine capacity, right? And we've had legislators put names on bills we know where they're not going to support, or they, they, they're sabotaging behind behind closed doors, trying to sabotage a bill about, let's say, giving licenses to illegal aliens. But then they, they, they sponsor the bill so they can go back come election time and show their more progressive-leaning folks that they sponsored a bill to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of constituents gobble that up because, unfortunately, a lot of constituents think that that means it passed. And so, you know, I think that a lot of the folks that may have supported her, her progressive candidate or progressive opponent are likely to go out and vote for you because of the fact that they don't appreciate being lied to, you know, and like we've been lied to. I mean, we've had people tell us they're pro 2A and they've supported stuff and, 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 you know, got up and walked out of committees and not voted on certain bills when they told us they would vote against it. So, I mean, it's nothing new to us, but now the, uh, the progressive left is starting to feel the pinch. You know, I think on the national level that this doesn't exist as much as it does here in Rhode Island. But, and this might seem like a radical statement, but let me finish before you, you sure. make a, a judgment sure. on this. Progressives are more like Republicans than they are the moderate Democrats. And I'll explain to you why. Even though politically we're so far apart, I think what drives the progressives uh, crazy is that corruption that lies in the middle? Is that wheeling and dealing of bills? And even though they're partaking in it to, to try to make some gains, they're doing it. So basically what they're 
the gist of what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, take over the Democratic Party. But in talking with a lot of people that label themselves progressives, as I've been out campaigning, they truly believe, you know, the Republicans are the same thing. Like, they're trying to get honest representation of their constituents. They don't want to deal with the the backdoor deals, the leadership deals, the leadership, you know, telling people, uh, you know, this is how we're going to vote. And again, even though we're so far apart on the political spectrum, I truly believe that they have a similar view of democracy to us because it's that middle that's the corruption. That's where all the problems lie is in that middle. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you really look at it, you know, how many of the progressives are, are, are in trouble? I mean, they're usually in trouble because they're running their mouth or they're saying something crazy, mm. but they're not involved in this That's a good corruption, point. Yeah. in, in uh, you know, these scandals. It's always the people that are right there in that middle right. that are involved in the corruption and the scandals, and I think that's the biggest problem that we face up at the state house. Yeah, I think and that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, it's... You look at most of the folks that have been in the General Assembly for decades and, and the folks prior to them, you know, they're all folks that are involved in organized labor, uh, you know, it, well, organized labor. <laughs> so, you know, the, the General Assembly was predominantly police officers, firemen, teachers or retired and or they work for the various unions. And it's still that way to this day. But um, a lot of those folks don't realize that, you know, it's it's uh, or a lot of the folks outside of that don't understand what happens in the General Assembly on a daily basis. And they don't see those bills um you know when you strip out abortion you strip out you know the car tax and you strip out gun control all of the other things that they do you know in terms of the bills they pass folks don't realize you know that they're (laughs) they're lining their own pockets you know they're passing things whether it it's it's labor related or whether it's you know procedural law that that you know paves the way for someone you know to create a new avenue to raise you know to increase their revenue, uh, and their law practice. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You see a carbon copy of the folks that were in the general assembly 30 years ago, and it's just a different face, but the same, you know, the same sort of, uh, nonsense. So I guess there's, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think the progressives are passionate about the things that they, that they, you know, that, that, that are important to them as, as with us. And I wish that maybe folks would, I think you'd see a shift in this state to where conservatives would dominate in the more rural areas and then the progressives would dominate in the more urban areas. And I don't know where they would put us, you know, as far as the General Assembly goes, but I suspect it would probably put us in a little bit better position because, like you said, most people don't believe, you know, a lot of the, 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 the stuff that's going on with the state house. And I think um, in the rural areas, we have a lot of Democrats that we probably shouldn't have. And, you know, their, their party has been hijacked now by the progressive left. And we're starting to see more rural areas, you know, that have had progressive folks that have gotten ousted because of the fact that they're just too far out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that transitions, you know, the big transition right now is in the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because the entire left hand side of the state is red. And when you, so you look at the map, I mean, even when you're going as far in, you know, Lincoln and Cumberland, it sort of makes sense. And it always has been, you know, fairly conservative out in those in those areas. And those Democrats have always been uh, very conservative. And you, know, you had Karen Macbeth out there for a while. Um, McLaughlin is still in there. And so the, the, they, they, you know, they do well because they're not progressives. But I think when they're gone, well, Karen's gone. But when, um, you know, McLaughlin leaves, I think that's going to be a tough seat for the, the Democrats to hold on to because I think a lot of, the you know people in the suburbs have kind of had it with with some of the things that they're being pushed up in Smith Hill, um, and certainly you know the more like even places like North Providence now, and I would have never thought that they'd be shifting you know to, to uh, becoming more and more red, but. It's, it's certainly, I mean, it's not a bad thing to have, you know, I mean, I know a lot of folks that listen to the podcast or they're on social media or they, they, they're, they're gun folks. They're not necessarily Republicans. And so, you know, I, I try to, you know, say that, you know, it's not, it's not all about supporting Republicans. I mean, there are a lot of good Democrats and, uh, but, but if you bring some balance back into the general assembly, then we're more likely to focus on the issues that really matter as opposed to things like gun control. Cause we know it's, you know, it, it's really, uh, as Chippendale says, Mike Chippendale says, it's a, it's a marketing war and it's about motivating constituents to go out and win in those primary races. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not really a reality in the state. We have so few gun deaths, you know, we don't really need to implement the things that they're asking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think when you really look at it and you talk about that balance of power, I mean, 
you know, again, not to get off the, the Second Amendment subject, but, uh, you know, the, it, it purchases itself so perfectly when it comes to the budget. You know, we don't have any... The, the budget is just basically handed down from the governor and, and passed by the Democrats, and it, it's it's killing the state. You know, we... You know, again, getting off the Second Amendment uh, subject just for a touch... It's fair game. I mean, it's all good. It's, you know, it, it's killing the state. Yeah. And, you know, and and again, if you, if you go back and you compare to what I was saying about... Uh, my opponent, she's just doing what she's told. She votes on a bill. She's not really pro to a starting to slip every session voting for uh, an anti-gun bill. The same thing is happening with the, with the budget. You know, it's just doing what I'm told and passing this budget and, and voting for the tolls and, you know, uh, voting for the Evergreen contract bill. Stuff that's actually killing us as, you know, economy-wise, is, is trying to live our lives as Rhode Islanders. And it trickles all the way down now to COVID. It's the same thing. They're sitting at home. They're not putting any pressure on the governor. They're letting the governor run this state. Uh, you know, what happened to our checks and balances? You know, we, we have checks and balances in this, you know, wonderful country that we live in. You know, one of the biggest things that our government was founded on was checks and balances. It doesn't exist right now. Right. You know, and again, we can take COVID for an ex- for an, uh, an example, but now we can shift that right back to Second Amendment. We've seen the governor do it during the COVID crisis and extending background checks to 30 days. And I mean, Glenn, I mean, I know you've been inside the gun stores a tremendous amount of times during COVID. You've seen people that were new time gun owners, you know, uh, first time purchases. These people were scared, you know, and now you have a governor that's telling them, well, you know what? It could take 30 days. And some of these people, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I need, to, I want to, I want a firearm tonight. Like, right. I, I want to be able to protect myself. And you just see all this, you know, power yeah. just starts right from the top, and it's yeah. You know, and you would think, you know, it, it's in terms of COVID and this idea that the general assembly has been completely absent. And you know, I even my state rep said, oh, well, we're having conversations with folks. It's not the same. I mean, you, you know, to be in the general assembly and have people, I mean, you're serving as a conduit, not just to the constituents, but the cities and towns, the administrators and the town councils and city councils, so that you know which communities are stressed, uh, you know, in, in what ways. Because not every district is suffering the way other districts are, like in the in urban areas or suburban. I mean, there's different challenges and n- none of them are worse than others. Uh, but this idea that the governor is going to make decisions based on what they see from Smith Hill, uh, when, a con- you know, when, when constituents come forward to legislators and explain where they're struggling, what businesses are struggling on Main Street in East Greenwich, or what school districts are struggling. And then that filters up to that state representative. And then they go back to leadership in the state house and they explain what they need and what they don't need. And when you mention the budget, you know, there's no need to have a, you know, maybe we don't need to, to supplement certain things in the, in the Charo school district because the, the, they don't have the same challenges that they have in Central Falls, where the percentages of, of, you know, folks that test positive for COVID is much higher. So there's more of a need to have, you know, a, a, a virtual based education and, and places like Chowho might not need that funding. So it, it makes sense, you know, back to the background checks, you know, not every city in town needed uh, and something to, to sort of, they didn't need guidance on how to get through the system. Like if you went to Warwick, you've got DNL, you've got all, what's a Dave's guns or whatever, the post road, you've got these gun shops that have been operating for 60 years, they know how to process background checks. They don't need, you know, guidance from the state, but you've got some towns that never processed a background check ever for, you know, they don't understand what's, what's disqualifying information and what's not. So, you know, they make those decisions entirely up in Smith Hill, out of the governor's office. And with the, you know, that was a, that was in, in, in sort of, uh, I guess running in tandem with what the attorney general at the time wanted, but um, you know there was nothing mentioned. You know the general assembly's not in session, so they can't go in and make any necessary changes to that bill. Which in the in I mean to this day is still a problem. But but in the in the first few weeks of that, I shouldn't even say few weeks. First probably a couple of months. You know the the horror stories you're hearing about. You know, people's paperwork being sent back to the wrong shop. So, I mean, that's what our representatives are, are there for, to do that. And they've been absent. And, you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's it's likely because of the fact that there's an election coming up and a lot of them don't want to make decisions that constituents might not want, you know. 
Well, you know, Glenn, the problem with that is, is this. They don't realize that the decisions they make up there have significant impacts. And, you know, they can... The, the people who pass that bill can say, well, you know, it's a, it's a safety issue. You know, we got to make sure that, you know, background checks are pro- processed, you know, by uh, the police chiefs in which the town you live in because they know you best. They don't realize the economic impact that, that that's put together. I mean, first of all, you strain more police departments now, so you've taken more police time um, off the streets you know where they could be combating crime and, and, and looking to stuff. There's a lot of now you have every single police department in the state, and I don't know what it was prior to that, but I would probably say it was probably around half the, the police departments were doing these background checks previously. So now you have every department. Every department has its own avenue. So again, it's nothing that's uniform. Now you just made the process even messier, right? And you know the impact that it's had on the gun stores. And, you know, they'll say, you know, the people that are anti-gun will say, well, good, we don't, we want to get rid of the gun stores anyway. There's still jobs. And those jobs are not just the people that work behind the counter. You know, it's your your freight industry, your logistics. You know, these places all provide a huge spark to our economy. And in, in another avenue where that really comes into big really big into our economy is when you look at how much hunting and fishing bring into our uh, economy you know we're, we bring over 400 million dollars to our to our economy every year so now like you know you have these impacts on these gun stores uh, you know just for example I was in DNL the, the other night and if you get double I think he's tripled his amount of staff since this bill's come mm-hmm. in and I'm sure that that goes up for his payroll but it makes me you know, that has to wait in line for three hours because they're so busy, you know, it, it, it doesn't make me want to shop. And now I'm forced to either go online and take my business out of state. So these these bills, everything that they do have so, you know, so much impact on other areas that they don't realize. And that background check bill was done with no consulting of these the police departments. These de- police departments didn't know what, what was going to hit them when it right. did. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's really true in what you said, that they make decisions out there without realizing what their impacts are, and that was a perfect example of one. Right, well, you know, and you talk about, you know, I'm a teacher, and in education they talk about unfunded mandates. I think now law enforcement, you're going to see the same thing where they make certain mandates and there's no funding for the training. And, and some of it's legitimate, and other times, you know, it, it's, at least in education, sometimes it's not. You know, it's just simply a way to say that we don't want to do something. But, you know, when you talk about revamping the background check system and then there's no legislation not even to explain, like, forget funding for it, but just simply guidance on how to do it, right? Um, you know, I know the Attorney General's office did send out a letter, all the dealers explaining what they needed to do. But again, you know, law enforcement not, not, might not be aware of what those disqualifiers are. Um, you know, legislators might not know, like you said, the impact of folks deciding that they'll shop online, um, all the things that, that I think they don't understand about about firearms. You know, I, I know when Dana G ran for the Senate, and she was, a, you know, a Second Amendment supporter, but, you know, in spirit, but didn't really understand things about firearms. And the one that you know, to go back to the magazine capacity, most legislators probably don't understand what, what a magazine is. And so with her, you know, she was wanted to learn and she was certainly, you know, uh, supported the Second Amendment. But with as, as far as magazines go, she was the assumption that it was something that was disposable and that once it was used... It was, you know, like it, the magazine was full of ammunition. And once the ammunition was gone, the magazine was, you know, no longer of any use. And, you know, I explained that it's a part of the firearm and that, you know, we're likely to have millions of those things in this state without a doubt. And if you look at the numbers of firearms we've sold in the last, you know, 12, 13 years, forget what's happened this the last several months. You know, you could easily say there's a million and a half to two million magazines that fit into this category. So where's the funding to basically explain to every single person in this state what they purchased 20 years ago is now a felony to possess. And, and you know, I think a lot of folks in the state might say, you know, that, that, that that's not really logical to say we're going to start confiscating people's property and that the vast majority of people that own them probably won't know and so they'll run the risk of getting pulled over. And not knowing that the penalties for having a magazine that holds 11 rounds is the same penalty uh, that it would be if you pointed a gun at someone's face. And so, you know, a lot of this stuff, 
stuff I think that wouldn't resonate with folks if they if they understood the nuts and bolts of what these bills do and don't do. And I think that's what we're seeing, you know, especially with this idea of background checks. You know, no thought put into uh, what the effect would be, and and hopefully, you know, Speaker Mattiello is, will be receptive to making changes and uh, you know tightening up some of the the the, the loose ends as far as you know, folks being, um, you know, their paperwork being held up, you know, for weeks on end. And I think that the progressive, you know, I know Jason Knight kind of tossed it out there in one of the nights when they were testifying prior to COVID, but saying that, well, then maybe the background check needs to be 30 days if we can't get them done. And it's like, we know that if they, they push through a bill to increase the background check, even one day, we know they're going to get rid of the portion that says where the gun can be released after the waiting period is over. And if that's the case, then then essentially your paperwork could go on in perpetuity. And it's basically a ban on guns because the police chief could sit on the paperwork forever. And as long as he doesn't deny you, he just lets it, you know, I, I'm not going to get it back to you, you know. And so, so uh, you know, I think gun owners need to be aware of the fact whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, you know, who these folks are, they're, they're electing to office. Yeah, and, and it, again, Glenn, it's another very dangerous bill because like you alluded to with the 30 days, I mean, you know, that's now you're coming up against the ATF policy and, uh, you know, that your paperwork's only good for 30 days with them. Right. And, um, you know, again, you're having an economic impact because it's not like these people are paying for guns and never picking them up. Like, you know, the, the gun shops are only going to get paid if, you right. know, these people are walking out with the firearm yeah. that they purchased. And, uh, you know, I really hope that that bill is, uh, is reworked because I personally have gone into many gun stores and I've seen the stress that it's put on them and it's it's unjust they don't deserve that it's none none of this was their fault you right. know this is again a bunch of legislators that don't understand what they're passing and they're just it's a knee-jerk reaction bill we, we we know it was from the incident that happened down in Westerly and it's not fair because it's it's impacting people's lives much beyond the whole gun control matter right right well, you know, hopefully, uh, if you're elected, we'll uh, have you write that bill. <laughs> We've got plenty of them on yeah. the way. Yeah. So, as far as the campaign goes, before we wrap it up, you know, what, what, how's the campaign going? Like, I've, I've obviously, so in full disclosure, I'm Nick's treasurer, but I haven't been all that involved with the the ground game. But, uh, you know, how how are things going as far as you know? I I hate to make the you know the assumption that it's it's uh you have a home field advantage but like being of italian descent in a very italian you know uh city it's it's uh you know and as she is she's an italian as well falala but is is it her husband or is it her uh i don't know i don't know yeah yeah so i mean it's like two so two italians duking it out in a very italian you know this this other obviously the demographics are different you know uh it's not entirely italian but um it's uh you know you've got a lot of old school folks that that have conservative values it's not it's you know i hate to make the reference to you know like my town is turning more sort of i guess i don't want to say more democratic it's they're progressives of a they're they're a presence here now there's a lot of young people moving in but what's it like to canvas in in a a city that's got a lot of old school like italian folks Uh, they try and feed you when you show up to the house A lot of my conversations are over an hour long. Yeah. I, mean, I know that's uh, yeah. one of the strategies that uh, they told me to, to avoid. But, yeah. you know, it's been a pleasure uh, yeah. to go inside people's homes. And sometimes, yeah, they invite you over for dinner yeah. and uh, it's different. Um, you know, the Italian aspect is, is kind of funny because when you look at Gina Raimondo versus Alan Fung, she didn't win Johnston. Right. And, you know, it, it really, you have to... Believe me, that weighed heavily in my decision to run. Um, looking at the, the the history of Johnson since the uh, the 2014 um, gubernatorial run from from Alan Fung to you know Trump and you know Fung's run again, that the Republicans are picking up numbers in Johnson, and a lot of it is those old school uh, Democrats. You know, uh, they're still very pro life. They don't uh, they don't like the rhetoric of pro choice. Um, they love their, their guns in Johnson. You know, they love their Second Amendment. And more and more, they're starting to realize that their Democratic Party is abandoning them. You know, the, the people like uh, Deb Falella are, are, are a dying breed. You know, they, there's 
that conservative Democrat is not surviving in this in this political climate. It's yeah. you, you have to make that decision, and a lot of people in Johnson are making that decision that you know they're voting red. Uh, so many people have just told me like. You know, I don't even care what your name is. You, we have Republican <laughs> yeah, next yeah. to your name. We're, we're voting for you. It's a change. Uh, it's either that or we're not voting for any incumbent, so we're going to vote for you anyway. Um, I tell you, Glenn, uh, the one thing that I wanted to touch base on this podcast was um, I think the biggest thing for our community was me running in this race. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away because right. there's, there's other candidates out there that have worked 10 times harder than me. And I could not keep up with the energy level that they have. And I hope they win. But this was a huge learning process for me. And uh, Senator Gordon Rogers, you know, he, I sat down with him and we kind of exchanged ideas back and forth. And, uh, one of the things that I learned, and, and we're going to lose in this race, we're, we're going to win uh, based on the knowledge that I'm taking away from this race, because in order for us to win, even as you know, the Second Amendment community going forward, we really need to improve our grassroots game. You know, when you watch the Democrats and their local town committees, that's the machine that you're really running up against. And unfortunately, you know, you, you have to take things in a, in, into account, like, you know, the ballot harvesting and getting inside nursing homes and really fooling, you know, our elderly voters in, in, into, into still voting Democrat. We have to, as a community, really figure out our foundation. You know, I think a lot of our fight's been up at the state house, but really where it starts is getting people elected to town council and then transitioning from council right. up right. to state reps. And I mean, my town's a perfect example. Uh, Deb Flell has been in office for 14 years and she's never had a Republican challenger. Yeah. You know, running as a Republican in Johnson was just, it was unheard of. And I'm one of the few towns where we don't even have a Republican town committee. Mm. So people drive around and they're like, hey, you know, we see way more Deb Falella signs than, than yours. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, that's just committee members putting them up. I'm like, right. some of them have actually come to my fundraiser and sat down with me and said, hey, even though I have her signed because I'm on the committee, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not voting for her. You, mm. you, you got my vote because, you know, the, the way she's been voting and the, the issues. And, you know, they're like, unfortunately, that's the, kind of the way it works. But... Uh, you know, I didn't have any signature parties. I didn't have any of that stuff that the right. Democrats do. Yeah. Some of these, some of these people, that, like you said, the people that have been in there twenty years, yeah. they don't have to go and get a sig single right. signature. They drop off a piece of paper and get it done for them. Mm. We as Republicans, we as gun owners, you know, we need to start that ground game. We yeah. need to really elevate that ground game and build up the base. Even if it's, you know, we just start off in a few towns where it's kind of lacking. I think the biggest thing we're going to take away from this campaign is the knowledge we'll be able to pass on to everybody else. Right. Again, we're going to lose. We're going to we're going to gain something very powerful here yeah. because I've learned a lot of how their machine operates and how we can kind of combat that and build our own machine. Really, right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And it's funny because, like you say, we've learned a lot in the last you know, let's say, year or so, and then especially since you know you you declared you know your for your run and. Uh, you know, going through some of the, the things that now you start to eat, you know, we've been aware of certain things in existence, you know, in terms of what you can gather from the voter rolls, but, um, you know, in terms of how you target certain things and certain things like the software and, and, you know, all the different, the, just the shift in terms of how, you know, even though, you know, what was done 30 years ago was, was like you refer to the machine, you know, now it's, it's, it's probably much easier um, given all the stuff that exists and all the data that you have in, some, in terms of targeting certain things as you could do more with fewer people. And so I think uh, moving forward, I, you know, and we've talked about this repeatedly, you know, as far as just in terms of internally in the Second Amendment community, you know, things that we want to do. And I think that, uh, you know, you making a run and being close to other legislators as well and, and kind of having that circle of knowledge, I think that we're definitely going to see some changes if we can, you know, get folks to step up and, and help out, you know, but yeah. And you yeah. know, for the people that are listening to this, you know, I think this year, especially we've seen a huge amount of people step up and run yeah. <clears throat> probably yeah. more so than any yeah. uh, other election. Yeah. And you know, if they win or lose, <clears throat> don't let that 
sway you if you're deciding to do this. Uh, it's fun. Um, it's challenging. Right. Uh, but it's so rewarding. Again, right. we, just just even just talking to people and listening yeah. to them and knowing that they have a voice to listen to. Yeah. Uh, if this is something you want to do, you know, make that decision now and, and do it as far in advance as you can. Uh, because it's worth it. You'll you'll yeah. gain you'll gain a lot of personal satisfaction from yeah. it. It is challenging. Yeah. Uh, it is some nights you sit there and you're like, you know, why am I doing this? But you know, when you just come across that that veteran, you know, that elderly person that just thanks you and says, mm. you know, we support you. I mean, that's what makes it worth it. So yeah. I would definitely tell people if it's something yeah. you're thinking about and you're on the fence, you know, consider doing it because it's the rewards and being able to represent this community is definitely a plus. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, so if people want to learn about your campaign, want to donate, which is probably the most important thing at this point, because we're uh, getting down to crunch time and you got to send out mailers. So if they want to donate to your campaign, they want to learn a little bit more about you, where do they go? Yeah. www. Uh, Nick, the number four rep, rep.com. And right, uh, you can donate right on there. You can uh, take a look at my biography. I'm kind of proud of the page because it's not all politics. Right. I put my personal life on there. Yeah. Put some pictures of me fishing on there. I think it's important for the voters to know, like, you know, this is who I am. Yeah. You know, this is uh, this is me. This is my family. This is who I am. Uh, you can't just put on a suit all the time yeah. and say, hey, you know, I, I speak on A, B, and C. They want to see who the real person is. and. Mm. One of the biggest things I've heard is, you know, state rep for 14 years and haven't seen her once, yeah. you know, and I'm just putting myself out there. This yeah. is who I am. So, again, it's www.nick4rep.com. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, obviously, I would, I'm not going to wish you luck because I'm going to see you every day for the <laughs> next whatever. But, uh, yeah, we'll have you back after the race, after you win, and you can talk about some of the things you want to do when you get up there. Awesome. Well, hopefully it's uh we'll tackle that budget yeah. but uh <laughs> yeah you know glenn that might be another scary thing yeah yeah if all we right tackle that budget after the election we could yeah. have some mean duck people up there making yeah. some decisions for us yeah yeah <laughs> thanks appreciate that thought all right well thanks for being on the show and uh we'll have you back thanks man. all right take care